I'm going to take opportunity now to move us into the Word. Mindful that there is somewhat for me a, a time constraint. And this for you is something you can come back to. It's as well something that may be a part two. But I felt uh, basically in, in where we have been at, this was very pertinent to right now. Uh, what is relevant for us today. So there will be areas of scripture that I'm going to be sharing with you and I'll give you an advance on where to turn to. But let me pray for the word today and ask God to bless us, uh, inspiring us, motivating us for change, correcting us where it's needful, most importantly just commending us in this time of trusting in him. Lord, thank you for hearing our hearts and even now anchoring us in your word. And we pray asking your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 14, if you want to turn there or mark it, because I can obviously read it to you, and you can come back to it later, the scriptures read, penned by David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They've all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. Verse 5. Doesn't that sound like just a current headline? Something that absolutely we say applies to the situation we are in today. There has been trending on the news an effort by Hollywood to present an encouragement to the global community. I understand their intention but there also needs to be a correction on how far it misses from God's heart and how truly irrelevant it is in terms of answering anybody's question or giving anybody's hope and ignition. There is a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And the best that can be done is calling upon the vanity of philosophical musical writers of the past by a couple of artists that I enjoyed younger and still can find myself tapping a toe to was Simon and Garfunkel. One of their songs in which in it was captured this line that the prophet's words are written on the subway walls. 
or accurately phrase the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls. You can go to subways today and you can see what we call are the tags and the graffitis of people trying to make a statement. Some of it illegible, some of it very, if you would, intangible as far as figuring out what it is. Some of it cursing humanity and cursing God and the dark chambers of a subway in which the transport of people has become the essential in metropolitan areas. But ultimately that subway will have a point in time in which the stop will not be made for them, for they will not be able to enter into it. And whatever words they may have read or been impressed by, or the musicians that find themselves cloistered in those dark chasms to bring illumination, joy to them, to find coins put into their guitar coffers, it will not bring salvation. It's vanity. And yet the movement of people are truly in these days on the subway systems of the world. Moving fast, but towards what? Eventually there is eternity and God would say to all of us and presented, I think, very accurately that eternity has been set in the heart of men. And what are they to do with that information? Well, here is the trending voice of one who has passed from this life. The song is called Imagine, and the title of today's teaching was simply this. Imagine you may. Believe you must. I'd like you to take that down. Imagine you may. Believe you must. Let's take a look at these prophetic words culturally. They're not the word of God, and you'll see that evidenced. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Parentheses. Ah, ah, ah. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. It is historically proven that man cannot be his best when before God he is at his worst. 
no matter how you dress humanity, no matter how you petition for the best from humanity, it is as filthy rags. And what also needs to be understood, which is a term that as well is trending in my opinion errantly, is this now political term, trying to describe an individual or the kind of situation that we're in, which is not necessarily false. But the emphasis is trying to use it in the context of an adjective inappropriately used towards someone. The term, which goes back quite a while in philosophical arguments, is existentialism. Because it is complex, I penned it so that you could understand and appreciate the times right now in which it literally is being voiced as a means of living your life. And actually, there are phrases that are echoing that. Here is its definition. I penned it on paper. Existentialism, or the existentialist, has a philosophy that emphasizes individual existence, freedom, and choice. It is the view that humans define their own meaning in life and try to make rational decisions despite existing in an irrational universe. It focuses on the question of human existence and the feeling, notice this, the feeling that there is no purpose or explanation at the core of existence. It holds that there is no God. That's the definition, and I would say this is the anthem of an existentialist view. You can make it on your own. You can do it by the choice that you make in dismissing the absolute certainty that there is God. When John pens us and he declares, imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us, he's actually saying, I'm aware of one that has been proclaimed and I'm choosing not to accept it. This is probably more grievous than he would have imagined in the song, Imagine. I go back to this trending because this may become the anthem of this generation presently, in which one who started it, linked with others who in particular sections of the song continued it and punctuated it. And I see nothing in this song that gives me hope whatsoever. For the evidence song strongly suggests that even through the judicial system, the penal system, that we are a lost humanity. And there's nothing that will turn us around except turning to God. The scriptures are clear on that. When the scriptures tell us that in Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity has been set in our hearts, God wants us to know through that description that nothing less than the assurance of eternity 
with him will satisfy us in anything that we do. He put it there so that none of us have an excuse of being ignorant. And it would seem to me that John was able to emphasize that. If there's no heaven, imagine no heaven. The existentialist takes what is the evident truth and dismisses it for a lie and purposes in his heart to live contrary to God's ways and to believe that the very best of humanity is what will save all of us. It didn't work in the 60s in which I was a younger person at that time in which a communal lifestyle would be engaged in sharing of things. It did not take long for the selfish element of people to destroy ultimate the, the puritanical belief that just coming together and sharing as one and all that that entailed, the drugs that were used to connect us to this ethereal realm of spirituality and the free exchange of sexual identity it invited plagues. It invited terror that then had to be dealt with. Terror of the flesh. What's happening to my body? Why do I feel this way? What is it that I've got? We call those STDs, sexually transmitted disease. We have a disease right now that has been transmitted it doesn't seem to be linked, obviously, to sexuality, but it does have a link to what we would call the veracity of a, of a virus. It has somehow reared its head. It has somehow now taken root in the lives of people, and we as a community of believers, world, globally, have found ourselves vulnerable to being infected and some are now dying from it. God would say something about that and he would point us back to the very beginning. He would say to us that sin is in the world. Sin is in the world because of man, the first man and his wife, violated and I believe probably we could say this in an existential moment of believing that one, they could be gods. Ate of a fruit that God said, do not eat. And plunge the world into the consequence of sin, which enacts upon the world a payment for rejecting God. It's important to understand that in these times, God will be blamed for what is happening. But you need to understand the grace of God and the mercy of God have suspended such as what you see. Sin has a payback and it very often manifests itself in these outbreaks of disease and of famine. It has an economy that pays those who have invested in it and it is not a dividend to profit. It is a devastation to the account of living life as the Lord has desired us to live life. In the Gospel of John, 
beautiful truth, comforting truth. Jesus in John 14, 6 says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We can see in that statement that Jesus declares himself to be the one who brings us. He's the way. Are you lost? He's the one that brings us to that place of being found. He comes after and seeks us. What else do we know? If he's the truth, he's the one by whom we seek discernment from. We need truth. And getting back to this existential thought, this philosophy that actually is becoming a religion, you've heard it. Here are the two things you're hearing from culture. This is my truth. What value is a person's truth if they believe in a lie? And I don't care about another person's truth. I understand why they're saying it. They're saying it because they're basing their existence on now a feeling that is in opposition to God and wanting to do their own thing. But as history records and as the Bible unfolds, this is nothing new. Man has always endeavored to sidestep the perfect plan of God to walk with him. So as Jesus has declared himself to be the way and the truth, I can be assured then of the fact that I'm not going to get lost, though I feel like it. He is my sure way. I'm not going to have to succumb to lies because he is the absolute truth. And when it declares that he is the life, it means that we as a people must be delivered by God. Do you know that when you were born, you were delivered by God? Do you know that as you were nurtured by your mother, you were delivered by God from day to day, footstep to footstep, diaper change to diaper change, you were delivered. And God, for those of us who even now are alive, says, I am your deliverer. Come to me. There are going to be the consequences of the loss of life, but there does not have to be the consequence of the loss of eternity living with God if a decision is made to live for God and to remove from your tendency to find comfort from those who walk contrary to God. Don't listen to it. It's my truth, the people say. It's what I believe. What's the other trending thing? Everybody wants to take their power back. That's becoming now the familiar part of it, of the cultural chant. But God would say, you have no power without me. And God would say, you want true power? It's not in the position you hold and it's not in the voice of threat and what you want back. You already gave it away. He would say, it's by my spirit my spirit, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, thus saith the Lord, the prophet Zechariah said, being inspired by God. There's nothing that we can do, nothing that we can possess, apart from living a life 
empowered by the Spirit of God to move through the difficulties of this life. Imagine you may believe you must. What is there to believe in? That in the provision of God, declared by him, Jesus, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the plea of the Lord from his mouth. And we want to, not only for those familiar with that passage, agree to it, but to let that message go forth now. God's heart is that none should perish, but there will be a perishing when the heart of man has turned cold and the philosophies of men that those who are lost embrace them rather than the word of God. Really important. In the trending of the current cultural voices, we need to pray for them. I don't think that there is a maliciousness. I believe that it is what we know to be true, a blindness. God says that that would in fact be the condition of men. But Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind and to open the ears, to free the tongue, to heal the bodies that were infirmed, to bring a sure hope. He said, follow me to every one of his disciples. He says to you and I, follow me as his disciples. And so we need to give that word. Imagine you may believe you must. How do you believe? Well, the scriptures were penned very clear and very simply on that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart you believe, and God reckons that as righteousness. You've trusted in him. And with the mouth you confess and therefore are justified. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The term justification far easier to understand than existentialism simply means this, that God in his mercy and grace has made you just before him, righteous in his standing because of being in his son. Every sin that has ever been committed by you, perhaps that you wrestle with presently or shall commit later, has been now absorbed in his son in person and he doesn't see you in the way that you see yourself or that others may evaluate you. So in that, this is a time that none of us would desire if we had our choice to govern ourselves because we don't feel good about what's happening. We must reconcile that we have a good God 
who's making a connection with the good word. And we need to anchor ourselves in it. We need to take care of ourselves as we move to contribute on a level of being thoughtful towards others in our connectivity. But the church needs to meet. We need to gather. If this ever went out, I would say, those in governance, release the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are first responders too. We have the answer. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the favor of the Most High Living God. Release the church. So church, pray for the release of us to be on the front lines, to be able to assemble, to enter into the sanctuary, to pray for those in governance over us, to pray against the forces of evil that indeed are waging war presently, to pray for those in ministry and to have the heart of all to function as ministers, those who turn towards God, worshipers of the Lord, and who are freely dispatched in whatever manner and means the Lord has assigned to the heart. We're going to carry on with a part two on the next Sunday, scriptures that are important to look at. But please be mindful. This is trending now. It's a sad trend. I'm not angry at them. All it does is tell me where their hearts are at and where their hearts need to be. And we need to be careful to have compassion. We need to have truth when people are believing a lie. This could have been a Broadway segue. It could have been a magnificent production. But it was just kind of a YouTube link by link by link by link of famous people who are basically extolling ignorantly the fatal philosophical belief system of existentialism. Don't buy it. Don't believe it. Sing a new song. Sing God's songs. <laughs>